0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We've been in this series for the last three weeks. and We've called the series This Is Us. So let me just go back, if you, if you haven't been with us, just to, just to give you a heads up of where the series came from, what we were thinking. And, and when you get to Matthew chapter uh, 22, there's a really uh, an interesting event that's going on. In those days, in the first century, when Christ was on the earth, there were two uber religious groups. And when I say religious, I don't mean that in a good sense. I mean, they were uber religious, self-righteous types, and primarily you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had some differences. They were kind of different groups, but just know this. They were the uber religious who were, who were always felt that they were the holier than thou, and they behaved that way and stuff. And so I love this idea, and Matthew tells us this in his gospel in chapter 22, that they were trying to trap Jesus and so what they're really trying to do is they're trying to get Jesus to say something that would contradict the law of Moses. Because Moses was a great prophet. And if you say something that contradicts Moses, now we got you, Jesus. We got you where we want you. And so they send a group of the Pharisees to him. And they, and they pose this question to Jesus. And it's really an IRS tax type of question. And Jesus just kind of, just like that. And he, he, he just... Just shuts them down, just like that, and they scurry off, right? So then a group of the Pharisees come to Jesus, and, and they pose this great question to Jesus about the resurrection. And Jesus uses a verb tense to show them how silly their idea is, and they scamper off. And then the Pharisees say, okay, the Sadducees got sent off. We've been shut down before, but let's, now we've got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. So they get together, and they have what, what the Scripture says is the expert in the law. Now think about this. This dude is the expert. So you know this, that all Pharisees are first and foremost the rabbis. Every one of them is a rabbi. Okay, And they know the Scriptures. These guys know the Scriptures. And so they grab a guy who, even amongst them, is an expert. And so he comes to Jesus and he says this, Jesus, teacher, he, says, he calls him teacher, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? And he says, teacher, rabbi, of all the commands that Moses gave, listen to everybody, 613 commands in the law, in the Jewish law, the first five books, the Pentateuch, what was written by Moses. Of all of those laws that were written, Jesus which one is the most important, the single most important? Now, as a follower of Christ, when I read that, I think, if Jesus is going to say what's most important, I better pay attention. So Jesus just, without hesitation, he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, remember this. These guys were trying to trap Jesus. This expert asks a very specific question, and he's ready. He knows what Jesus is going to answer, and he's ready to pounce. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. And this guy's just like this. He's just ready to fire. And before he can ever even fire, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, a second is equally important. The guy's like, a second? I asked you for the single most. And Jesus said, you know, he's saying, I gave you the single most, but this one, just so you know, it's just as important. Again, followers of Jesus if this guy says, doing this, loving God, if there's another command that is equally as important, we better pay attention. And right away, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, FYI, this is not me bending the scripture. This is not me making it say whatever I want it to say. This is not me saying it. This is Jesus who said it, that loving your neighbor as yourself is just as important as this, loving God. That, that's a weird one for us to comprehend. Oh, this is just as important. Now, remember this as well. Who is Jesus talking to? He knows his audience. He's talking to the Pharisees. Not only are they all rabbis, not only are they all like really astute and really know the scripture, most of these Pharisees have memorized the Mosaic Law. They've memorized it. The first five books of the Old Testament. Now, I don't expect anybody in here to have memorized it all. Like I get it. But just so I know where we're at. Raise your hand if you've memorized Leviticus. Just Leviticus. Most of you? Okay, good. Put your hands down. Okay, just Deuteronomy. Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of people too. Okay, just the book of Exodus. A lot of folks. I got you. I got you. These guys memorize all five. They know all five. So here's what Jesus knows. I know my audience. I know these are the uber-religious who thinks like, it's just about knowing God, loving God, knowing the scripture, knowing the scripture, knowing the scripture. And Jesus says this, this is every bit as important as this, right? And then, and I love this editorial comment. We talked about this. He throws on the editorial comment. He says, by the way, the entire law, the Pentateuch, right? The, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, the first five books of our Old Testament, and all the, demand, all the prophets, all the prophets, they're based on these Two commands. Translation: If you read the prophet Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, to all Jews, then you go, "Man, I'm not really sure what Isaiah was saying. I can't really figure that out." Jesus said, "Know this: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. It just boils down to that, right? Or if you read the great weeping prophet Jeremiah, and you're not sure what he said, right? Just know this: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love you like that's what he's saying to them." right? And so we're saying the same thing now. If this is true, if this is true, this is just as important as this. How can we get better at this? How do we more effectively relate to our neighbors? How do we more effectively love them? And so in that attempt, we're doing some self-examination. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to search us out. So I'm going to invite you in your Bibles. Turn 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there in your Bible. And by the way, if you don't have one, you don't have a Bible. I think it's the greatest thing you can do. Have your Bible with you in service. You can make notes. You can underline. You can circle. You can write things. If you don't have one, you don't need to buy one. We bought them for you, and they're on the high top tables out in the lobby. Just be aware. They're English Bibles, and they're Spanish Bibles. Get the right one. Got it? All right, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet when you get it. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And I always just remind new folks, if you're new around here, just know this. We don't do the up-down the whole day. We're not going to do this up-down the whole day. And this is not a right or wrong thing. This is just our thing. When we read from the Scriptures, our primary text, we stand to our feet and just reminds us. This ain't a book that some guys just wrote. Right? This is God now speaking to us, and we want to receive it that way. I'm going to start in verse 24. The Apostle Paul speaking. Paul says, hey, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Verse 26. I've traveled on many long journeys. i faced danger from the rivers and dangers from robbers. i faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from the men who claim to be believers but aren't. Verse 27, I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. 28, then besides all of that, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Verse 29, who is weak without my feeling that weakness, and who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? Let's pray. Father, We say, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for this passage that we've been given by the Apostle Paul. We say, thank you, Lord. But our issue is this, God. We can't understand this unless your Holy Spirit gives us understanding. And so, Spirit, this morning we're praying, give us understanding. And, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for very clear and specific understanding in terms of how this would speak into our lives, change us, make us more like Christ as a result. Glorify yourself this morning, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So what I want to do is we're going to look at this, and I want to set this up for you so you understand what's happening here. This is the second letter to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote the first letter. Paul went to Corinth. He planted the church. Now, understand this about Corinth. Corinth was a very pagan place, very pagan. It's uh, full of all kinds of unbelievable, immoral, sexual acts. And Paul preaches the gospel, and people start coming to know Christ. They come into relationship with Christ. Now, obviously, a lot of their old practices kind of want to stick around and stay around. So Paul plants the church. Eventually, Paul leaves He hears about what's going on, and so he sends Timothy with a letter. That letter is what we call 1 Corinthians. Timothy took that. Now Paul is still in Ephesus, and and Paul is hearing some more things. And, And so Paul is writing this second letter. He's writing this second Corinthians. This is the second letter that he wrote to the church. And when you start at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 11, Paul is essentially saying this. Hey, you guys, I love you. I have a deep desire for you. I long for you. I love you, Corinthians. So much so that I'm very concerned. Like, I want to present you, Paul says, as this pure bride to Christ someday. I want to present you, right? But I'm a little concerned. Because you guys seem to be listening to these false prophets, these, false, these pro- prophets who are preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, and I'm not sure why you're listening to those guys. I, I don't know why. And then Paul starts to do this weird thing where he kind of is comparing himself to them. And so if you back up in your chapter just a bit to verse 21, right before where we read, he says, But whatever these other prophets, whatever they dare to boast about, now listen, I'm going to talk like a fool here. I dare to boast about it too. Paul's saying, I'm going to boast about it. I I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to talk in your terms. I'm going to boast about it. And then he says this. Are they Hebrews? I'm a Hebrew. Paul says, I'm a Jew. Are they Israelites? Like, do they actually live inside the promised land? I do. Paul says, I do. I, I don't know why you're listening to them. I'm that same thing. Are they descendants of Abraham? Meaning, are they born Jews, not did they convert to Judaism? Paul says, I'm all of those. I was born a descendant of David. I'm a Jew. I live inside the land. He says, so am I. He continues to said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like an idiot here is what Paul is saying, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. And I've faced death again and again and again. So here's the, here's the way that I think of this when I read this. Paul is talking to them, and he's saying, why are you following these false prophets? And so in an attempt to persuade them, what Paul basically does is he's sending them their resume, his resume, with a cover letter. And what we just read was the cover letter. All right, everybody flip the page. Okay, now you're going to get to the actual resume. And Paul is going to just speak out his resume of suffering here to prove how his his love for them is so deep. And Paul says this, look, five different times, five separate occasions, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now, first of all, why, why would they whip him? Well, they whipped him. They gave him 39 lashes because he's preaching about Christ, because he's talking about Jesus, because the Jewish leaders didn't want that. But here's what you should know. They gave him the 39 lashes. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. In Deuteronomy 25, it's laid out in the Jewish law two people have a dispute and they go to court and it's determined that this person did something really heinous to this person, right? It it had to qualify. It had to be a certain thing. If that were the case, this person could be whipped under Mosaic law. This person could be whipped, but they can only be whipped 40 lashes and no more unless you humiliate them, Moses says, unless you humiliate them. Meaning maybe they're totally disfigured or totally dismembered or maybe they go to the bathroom on themselves. I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, it's just a, it's a terrible and humiliating and embarrassing thing. So the Mosaic law says you can whip them 40 times, 40 times. Okay, you have the written law, which is what we read in the, in the Old Testament. That's the written law. But then the Jews have an oral law. The oral law is the rabbis helping to interpret the written law into everyday life so you can live it out. Okay, so the oral law is called the Talmud. The Talmud is split into two sections, the Mishnah and the Gomorrah. In the Mishnah, it talks about this very event, this very event. And here's how the Mishnah, the, the oral law of the rabbis, lays this out so that they can apply Deuteronomy 25. What it says is this, if that person is found worthy of a whipping, what you do is they have to stand in front. And the, the Mishnah says, their shirt must be torn off so that you expose their chest and their shoulders and then the person who's going to with them stands behind them up on a stone so that they're up above them. And it says, they will swing with all their might with one hand. Like, that's what Paul took on that, five times. And it's very interesting to me that it says 39 lashes here when the Mosaic law, the written law, says 40. And the reason is it's thought of for two reasons. Number one, uh, like a little bit of mercy, we'll have a little bit of mercy. But number two, and this is very interesting to me, the rabbis were concerned that if somebody was doing all the whipping and they're really into it, they might lose count. So let's just cover our bases, just 39, and then we're safe. We'll stay under 40. Like That's interesting to me, right? And Paul withstood that five different times. Why? Why did that happen to him five times? Because he was preaching the gospel. Because he was talking about Jesus. Because he thought the most important thing that people can know is about how Jesus came. And God is now being reconciled. Man is being reconciled to God. Right? I get it. That's a noble thing. And as followers of Christ, we go, well, that's the right thing to do. Good for him. In my own head, I'm saying, Paul, stop doing that. It's only getting you whipped, brother. Stop, stop stop, saying that stuff. Like one time, okay, maybe you didn't figure out. Maybe a second time you were a little slow. But the third time, just stop saying that. And Paul keeps proclaiming Jesus, and he keeps preaching Jesus, and it keeps getting him whipped, 39 lashes. And then after that, Paul says, and three times I was beaten with rods. The Greek word for rods is the word "rabdos," and we see it in the scriptures about a dozen times, the word "rabdos," But the verb form of rod, meaning to be hit with the rod, is only used Twice in the scripture, it's abdizios, it's only used twice, and it's always in the passive form, which means this, it is something that happens to you, and this isn't the Jews. The Jews didn't do this, this was the Romans. Like, this was a big, strong Roman soldier, and I promise you this, they're not counting. They're swinging for the fences. They're going after it. Now, why would they beat Paul? Because when Paul preaches to the Jews, and it gets the Jews all riled up, then it makes things difficult for the Romans because they got to keep peace in the area. Paul's been whipped five times, 39 lashes, because he's preaching the gospel. Paul's been beaten with rods three times, because he's primarily preaching the gospel. He's not done yet. He's still reading the resume. Once I was stoned, right? This is uh, Acts chapter 14. We read about it. Paul, Paul is in Lystra, and he heals a man who's crippled. His feet are crippled, and Paul just says, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, basically. And the guy gets up, and he walks. And everybody starts going cuckoo, and they're like, oh, this Jesus is the real thing. This Jesus is the real thing. And some Jews... Jews, some very religious, traditional Jews came from. It says from Iconium and from Antioch, and they didn't like that these Jews were now looking to Jesus. that They would be influenced to Jesus, and so they stone Paul. Now, to be stoned means this: they might throw rocks at you, but in all reality, what happens is they have a pit that they use, and you're down in the pit, and they are throwing rocks down at you, and you only do it for one reason, and that is to kill him. And so when they get all done, they drag Paul out of the city. Why? Because they thought they killed him. Because that's what they set out to do. And yet Paul survives it. And in my head I say, Paul, stop doing that. You just got to quit, brother. You can't keep talking like that. Right? He's not even done yet. Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked. Additionally, he says... Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea because of the shipwreck. Why was Paul shipwrecked? Because Paul had three major missionary journeys in his life. Like, Paul sailed all around the Mediterranean Rim. He starts in Israel, sure, but he goes up from there and he sails all the way around. He would have gone around Turkey, what's modern-day Turkey today. You know, they have Ephesus and all those things, And he gets all the way around to Greece, and and Paul's in all kinds of terrible weather. uh, Why? Because he thinks it's the most important thing to preach the gospel. Because he's got to make this better. He's got to reconcile God to man. He's got to talk to them about what Jesus has done. And so he keeps traveling. And he's shipwrecked. And it's almost costing him his life. Right, And then Paul just continues and he says, I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from the rivers, danger from robbers. Why? He's preaching the gospel. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. He continues, he says, I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I've faced danger, this is the most painful one for me. Just think about this a minute. For men who claim to be believers, but aren't. Isn't that sometimes the hardest is when another person who says I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a believer, isn't that painful? When those people wound you? That's just the hardest one. He says, I've worked hard and long, and I've endured many sleepless nights. And I read that, and I read that, and the question that keeps popping into my head is, Paul, what are you thinking? Why would he continue? It's easy for us, we go, oh, he's a... Follower of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. You know, he saw the resurrected Christ. I'm like, I know, but how many times do you have to get whipped and beaten before you just stop? Like most people figure this out. How is Paul able to continue? Why does Paul continue? Where does that come from? And the answer is this God made Paul a reformer. That's how God made Paul. Now, if you just walked into the series and you haven't been with us, we're studying the scriptures to say, how do I become more Christ-like in my behavior? In a very personal way, in an extremely personal way. I mean, like in a real and tangible way, how do I do that? So we use an additional tool that's, that's assessing personalities and some of our general traits. If you haven't taken the assessment, you can still do it. Go online, go to our website. It's on our homepage. This is us, personality assessment. You can take it. It's free. And it's by a Christian organization that does it. And so we get to see what are our general personality uh, uh, characteristics. Because again, I'll go back to this. Here's what we're really trying to do through this series. We're trying to figure out how can I more effectively love or relate to my neighbors. Well, in order for us to do that, right, the first thing we do is we search the scriptures to see what is Christ-like behavior. In a very specific way. I mean, in a very tangible, practical way. What is Christ-like behavior? We go to the Word first and we study the Word. However, this is the challenge sometimes for church folks. If you're like me, in church, nine months before you were born, some of you were. You've been to the church your whole life. Oh, pastor, just give me more of the Word. Teach me the Word. Teach me the Word. Teach me the Word. Hey, nobody loves the Word any more than I do. And nobody loves teaching the Word any more than I do. But after a while, your brain gets saturated, and I'd like to see a little of it. Don't you feel that way? Like, brother, stop talking about Jesus. Let me see a little bit of it. I love James, the half-brother Jesus, who says this in his epistle. He says, hey, don't just listen to the word. Don't just read the word. Don't just listen. And so deceive yourselves. Here's one for you. Do what it says. Now, let me just ask you this question. I just want you to envision this. What if all the people who said they were followers of Jesus actually lived like followers of Jesus? All right, you marinate on that for a while. I just think that's the difference maker. I think we start living like Jesus. And so what we've done is we've looked at these different styles of personality. They're just generalities. And we're trying to say, what could be true of me? How do I need to change behavior for me in a very meaningful and practical way? And so today, you know, we've looked at the challenger personality style. We looked at the peacemaker last week. This week, we're looking at the reformer. And I would say this, it's the reformer. In your notes, if you have the book that we're using in our small groups, we've just called it the reformer. Some people who write about this, Christians that write about this, they also call it the reformer or the perfectionist. And I think that will help you a little bit. By the way, your books have places for notes. You can bring this. You can take notes for your sermons. It's all in there, right? Discuss it at your groups. But I think if you remember that this is also a perfectionist, I think that will help you. And so I want to give you a few things. If you've taken the assessment and you already know kind of this is you, right? But maybe you haven't. So I want to give you some things to think about that might might just point to the fact that you might be a reformer or this perfectionist. So here's a few things. If, you are, if you're really hard on yourself and you consistently just beat yourself up whenever you make a mistake, whenever you do something wrong, right? If that's true of you, you might be this reformer, this perfectionist. That could be you. If people have told you that you can be really critical or judgmental If people have ever said that to you, if you know that about yourself, man, I'm really critical, I'm really judgmental, you might be a reformer, you might be this perfectionist. If you don't feel comfortable when you try to relax, if somebody says, hey, just relax for a while, and you're like, okay, and now you fidget because you you feel like I should be doing something, right? That might indicate that this, this might be true of you. Now, just remember this. We all have some of these personality traits, but for some of you, every single one of these will just ring true. Right. Oftentimes you're like, oh, man, so many of those were were for me. If you get upset when people break or ignore the rules, and I'm talking about like like really upset because that dude's in the left lane. Does he not know about the left lane? Or you see the cat at the grocery store and you're like, that dude's in the express lane. He has nine. There are nine. Like you want to let store management know there are nine items in his basket. Right. You might be a reformer. You might be a perfectionist. If details are really important to you, like details, like you're a detailed person, details are really important to you, you might be the reformer. You might be the perfectionist, right? If it's hard for you to let go of resentment, and you know that about yourself, it's hard for me to forgive. I just hold on to this resentment. That might indicate that you're of this kind of personality style, right? If you're the person who says, I'll do it, and that's a guarantee, like you then do it. You're that type of person. You might be the reformer. Right? If you have a lot of self-discipline, some of you know, hey, my self-discipline, not real high. Some of you go, oh, my self-discipline is off the charts. That's an indicator you might be the reformer or the perfectionist. If you tend to see things either as right or wrong, now listen to me, I'm not talking about black and white. I'm talking about there is a right way to do it. And if you didn't do it the right way, it is wrong. If you have that sense of right and wrong you might be a reformer. If you're very thoughtful and careful about how you spend money, like you pay attention to all the details of your money, it's an indicator you might be a reformer. If you like to think about how you can be a better person, like, man, how can I better myself? How can I get better? How can I do this? Right? How, you might be a reformer. If it's very hard for you to forgive, that's a huge sign. If you tend to worry a lot because you're worrying about details, you might be a reformer. If you're disappointed, you find yourself very disappointed when people don't do their part. Like, man, you know, what? we were there and and I was working hard and they didn't do their part. That's an indicator for you. If you like routine and you don't like change, you don't deal well with change, that's an indicator. You could be a reformer, could be a perfectionist. And if you actually feel a lot of times like you're trying harder to do things right, to correct things than other people are, like they just don't try like I do, you might be A reformer. So we want to look at this personality style, and we're allowing for the Holy Spirit to speak. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you. I man, I I don't fix anybody, I don't cure anybody, I can't cure a ham. You can't fix or cure any like we don't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Got it. The Holy Spirit is going to have to speak to you. But here's what we're saying. Just suspend judgment for a minute and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Is this possible? Is this true? Now, listen. Here you are, reformers, perfectionists. Here's a little bit about you. Number one, this is what we love about you. You are committed to service and integrity. Like reformers, you are committed to it. Integrity, integrity. That's that's how you think. right? When you're healthy, you're very balanced and you're very responsible. We love that about you. Uh, when you're healthy, you forgive yourselves and others, and you do a very good job of it. That's when you're healthy, right? You're principled. You're an idealist. You tend to definitely be the perfectionist. And here's what's really interesting to me about the, this type is that you're very patient with longer processes that you know are going to create change. So here's me. I'm like, boom, I, I'm a microwave. Is it, is it working? Yes or no? Let's go, right? Some of you are like, hey, this is taking a little time, and I'm okay with that because I see it creating change. I'm good with the process, right? Let me give you a few more. You have a very strong sense of right and wrong, and we talked about that. It ain't black and white. It's right, and then it's wrong. And, and here's the challenge sometimes. Because it's not right, it is necessarily it is wrong. You, you definitely have a desire. This is another thing that we love about you, you reformers, you're perfectionists. You definitely have a desire to make the world better, and I don't mean in a mushy, let's all join hands and hug each other kind of way. I mean, like, you really want to make the world better. You believe that. And as a follower of Christ, you want to do what would make the world better for God's kingdom. Right? You want to make your church better. You want to make your community better. You want to make your job place. That, that, that's just the way you're wired. It's the way God made you. Uh, very much like the challenger that we talked about in week one is that you can't turn a blind eye to injustice. You're not going to have it. You won't stand for it. And you're not afraid to stand alone at any cost. Like, I'm alone. I know this is right. I know God has put this in my heart. And if nobody stands with me, I'll stand here by myself. Like, that's kind of the way you're wired. Now, here's where we want to let the Holy Spirit begin to work, right? We're just saying suspend judgment. We're trying to bring some of these things to light. What we're asking you to do is we're saying, okay, now you have to do the hard work of self-examination. And which leads to self-awareness. And now that you've brought it to light, now you commit that. And you say, Holy Spirit, how would you change me? How would you work on my heart? Because here's what I want to do. I want to love my neighbors more effectively. I want to relate to people more effectively. Just like rough, smooth off some of the rough edges that are on me. Now, we've said this. We love you, reformers. We love you, perfectionists, right? But on the other hand, I'll, I'll let you sit in that for just a minute. We love you, Reformers. We love you. Okay, now on the other hand, <laughs> there are times when your behavior becomes unhealthy. And we've talked about this with all personality styles. They don't reflect Christ. We don't look like Christ. Our behavior becomes un like Right. Healthy behaviors usually, unhealthy behaviors usually come from a couple places. Satan really gets a hold of our lives, number one, to be honest, can when we're under a great deal of stress. When you're under a lot of stress, when I'm under a lot of stress, that's oftentimes when the devil goes to work in our lives. So think about this, right? What are those stressful situations for you? And I just always say the very obvious ones. You're at the DMV, or you're on the phone with customer service, and they're about to get an earful of unchrist-like behavior. Yes? Okay, that's stressful situation. Sometimes it's a stressful day. Sometimes it's a stressful season. It's those types of things. Sometimes it's stressful people. Like you just know that there are those people in your life who just know how to push your buttons, or there's a type of person, and our, our behavior becomes very unchristlike. Okay, be aware. And then I give you this acronym because I just think this is always so true for me. I'm very alert of these hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I'm just telling you this. Jesus had been taken out into the desert to be tempted, to be tested, right? When does Satan get a hold of him? After 40 days of of, of fasting, right? Satan's like, oh, Jesus, if I'm going to get him, I'm getting him now. 40 days of fasting, right? When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, we are very susceptible to sin when we're lonely. And then when we're tired, you all know that. I know that. When I'm tired, man, I I just like, don't say anything right now. Just, Just walk away, you know? So this is when we're really susceptible to very unhealthy behavior, and we should be aware of it. So in that light, for this general personality style, now listen, a lot of us have different character traits, but some of you, this is really resonating with you. And so I'm going to talk to you real quick about what your childhood message is, because that influences your behavior. So things have happened to all of us all of us, and for some reason, some of us internalize certain events. And I'll give you the example. My mother left when I was a kid, right? My brother's only 11 months older than I am. It affected us very differently. I very much internalized that as in my personality style, and I said, no one can be trusted, right? Didn't affect my brother that way. Affected th- Different things have affected him. I'm just saying... Here's the childhood message. When you find yourself in this personality style, very commonly, very oftentimes, the childhood message that you got was, it's not okay to be wrong or make mistakes. Think about it. Perfectionist. I know it's a reformer, but it's also the perfectionist. It is not okay. Now think about how that haunts you, how that chases you. Because, first of all, if it's not okay to be wrong, you're never going to venture out there right? You're never going to take a a shot at anything. You don't want to ever try anything new if you know you won't be good at it. And that message is always just playing back to you. Now, question, where does that message come from? Well, that's a great question. And so if if I'm in this personality style, then I submit this to the Holy Spirit. And I say, Spirit, where is that wounding? Where did that wound come from? Right? You, you know this. Uh, a lot of if you don't know this. We have a very um, effective prayer ministry at our church. It's called prayer mentoring. That's the exact kind of thing that they work with you on. They worked with me on it. Where did that wounding come from? And then we submit that to the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to heal that. Because once you get rid of a false message, right, the enemies attack, right, then the Holy Spirit just works through you. And so that's the childhood message and consequently the chi- the core fear that you then have now think about it right is your fear of being wrong it's fear of being bad or evil or inappropriate or unredeemable that's your core fear where does fear come from it is the enemy it is satan that's where all fear comes from like that dude just writes fear into our lives that is not of god it is never of god it is only of the enemy And so as a result of your childhood message and your core fear, then your core weakness, think about this, perfectionist, reformer, but perfectionist, is resentment. You resent, you resent, and you repress that anger that then leads to continual frustration or dissatisfaction with yourself and with others. Why is there resentment? Because they didn't do it right, because it's not right, right? And you just hold on to that. And I'm telling you, it affects how you interact with people. What we're trying to do is more effectively relate to or love our neighbors. Why? Because this is every bit as important for followers of Jesus as this. Jesus said it. Right? This radically affects our behavior and how other people perceive us. Okay, so, bringing light let the Holy Spirit bring some of these things to light. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But now I want to give you some practical uh, ideas for transferring. And let me just say this. This should speak to those of you who are reformers and perfectionists. But I would also say where this is every bit as effective is for those of you who know someone like this or who are married to someone like this. So I would just tell you for myself, and you'll probably hear this several times during the series, This has specifically spoken to me about my, we were just talking about this, about my own issues, my personality. I know you're saying, you have issues? I know, crazy, right? And so it's spoken to me about my issues, and I've had to submit those to the Holy Spirit and let him speak into that. But it's also helped my wife and I, because now I really know how she's wired and how God created her, and she is, and so she can see some of her own weaknesses, but it helps me say, oh, that's where she's coming from. Understand? Understand? So this is good for anybody that you know that falls into this. So here's some thoughts for you for just transformation. Number one, write it down, say it out loud. Number one, write it down, say it out loud. Raise your hand if you know this about yourself, that you are a verbal processor. Raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you, right? I'm absolutely a verbal processor. What's most uh, constructive for me at times is working on things in a team because I've got to say it out loud. Okay, now think about this. If you're like me, how many times have you had a thought in your head and you're like, That's the smartest thought that has ever been thought. No one has ever come up with anything like that. And then you actually say it out loud and you go, oh, I hope nobody heard that. (laughs) Because you said it out loud. Right. So here's what I would tell you if this is your general personality style, right? Write it down and say it out loud. You have crazy thoughts that come into your head. Write it down. Say it out loud. And now all of a sudden you go, that's not true. That's a lie from hell. No, I'm not having anything to do with that. Right, write it down say it out loud. I would also say acknowledge the inner critic, because we all have one. This personality style really has one. But, so acknowledge the critic. Oh yeah, you can't get to anything if you just keep denying what's true. Acknowledge what your inner critic is saying. They go, but you know what? This is kind of true about this, but here's what's not true about it, right? Uh, Here's a really good one for you folks. Catch people actually doing things right. Because in this personality style, your natural inclination is only to look for the idiots who are doing it wrong. And that's what we say, like, what an idiot! No. here's an exercise. Just continually look for people doing things right. Wow, they did this. Wow, wow, wow. See how God will change that perspective. Ask this question. When you're angry and upset about stuff, ask this question. What's my anger about? No, not what's it about. What's it Really about ask that question suspend judgment. Let the Holy Spirit speak into that Not what am I angry about? What am I really truly angry about? Let me give you a couple more You need to know this sometimes good is good enough Like do you know this do you realize that sometimes it's okay to be average do you know that? So here's how we wrestle with this here at church for instance. There are certain things we say hey We're gonna pursue excellence. We're gonna pursue excellence. We're gonna pursue excellence And then sometimes we go that's good enough it's good enough. I love just nerding out, geeking out, working on sermons. I love that. I just, you know. I could be working on this sermon until tomorrow, three years from now. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes a sermon is done. It's good enough. It's good enough. Allow God to use this. Right? You people need to know that sometimes average is okay. It's okay to be average. That's all right. As a result, I, I encourage you to do this. Do something you're not good at. I do it every Friday. I golf. That's what I do. Right? It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Like, I'm terrible at this. Right? Do something you're not good at. And just, it's okay. It's okay that you're not awesome at everything. Forgive quickly. Quickly, man. When something comes up and you sense that in yourself, there's resentment or something, just deal with it right now. Forgive quickly. And then ask for, ask for criticism. Accept criticism. Hey, I did this. How did did you receive that? How did you take it? How how did I do? Like, be honest with me. I want you to be honest with me. Okay? So, each week I've tried to give you a personality picture, like something to think about. And I'm going to show you one today. This is, I'm talking about the reformer of the perfectionist. Some of you would remember this movie. You've read the book, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's about a 1962 movie. It's like 40 years before I was even born. I have no idea. And so, (laughs) it's it's, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Gregory Peck plays uh, Atticus Finch. And this is his daughter, Scout. And Atticus Finch was a, an attorney in the Deep South in the 1930s, and I get it. I, there are all kinds of reasons that this movie has been banned, and I'm, I, I'm all good with it. So don't send me emails about how could you use that as an example. I'm just bringing up the character, okay? But Atticus Finch is defending a black man specifically in the Deep South who is falsely accused. And at one point in the movie, his daughter says to him, Dad. Why would you even try to defend a guy that you know you can't win that case? Basically, she's saying in the 1930s in the deep south, why would you even take that on when the best thing that will come out of that is that everybody in this town is going to hate you? Why would you do that? Now, this is a reformer. This is is what we love about you folks. If you're here, man, if this is you, this is what we love about you. This is what he says to his little girl. Before I can live with other folks, I got to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. See, reformers, perfectionists, that's how you are. That's how God wired you. It's how he made you, and it's why we love you. It's why we're thrilled that you're a part of the body at Cedar Valley. It's why we're thrilled that you're a part of the kingdom, right? You bring us something that almost no one else has, and so we love that about you. Now, more importantly, When we see these behaviors, we saw it in Paul. We see it in a lot of you. More importantly, this is a Christ-like behavior. And I want to show you this behavior modeled by Christ because our goal isn't to be like Gregory Peck, that's for sure. Our goal isn't even really to be like the Apostle Paul, even though he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Our goal is to be like Christ. So you need to see this displayed in Christ. Luke uh, chapter 9, Jesus is telling the disciples about It's not going to go well for him. He's starting to tell him that. And he says this. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself. Jesus said, I have to suffer many terrible things. He's saying, I'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. I'll be killed, but on the third day I'll raise from the dead. Now, Jesus is saying how terrible it's going to be for him. He knows. And in Luke chapter 9, he just keeps talking about how he's going to suffer, how he's going to die, how he's going to suffer and die. He's telling his disciples this. And then when you get toward the end of the chapter, he says this. As the time drew near for Jesus, that's him, to ascend to heaven. Now just remember, this is Luke chapter 9. The resurrection, the crucifixion has not happened yet. Jesus has not risen from the dead. So this ascend to heaven means Jesus got to die. That's what it's really saying. As the time drew near for Jesus to go and die, and then it says, I love this, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. I know i got to suffer. I know i got to die. I know that this makes things better. Because I know that my death, burial, and resurrection has the potential to resurrect mankind to God. Therefore, i got to do this. Like that word, resolutely. That's you, folks. That's who you are. It's the way God made you. We don't get that from almost, I mean, we, we see that in glimpses from other people. But you bring that to us. And so we celebrate you. We celebrate the creator who made you that way. And we give him praise and we give him glory. So let me give you guys the big so what. If you're new, we always just say that the big so what is this. In case you sleep through the service, don't worry about it. We give it to you in one line. Reformers do whatever to make the whole world better. That's what you folks do. We love that you're part of the kingdom of God. We love that you're part of Cedar Valley Church. You bring us something so special and so unique. Watch this. time Now, Reformers, we we love you. We're grateful for you. You bring us something so unique, so special. And now we're saying, let the Holy Spirit examine you. Bring it to light. Heal what needs to be healed. Transform and change. Why? Because this is as important as this. And so we want to do this more effectively. We want to relate to our neighbors. We want to love our neighbors more effectively. Let the Holy Spirit transform you. Let him change you. you Bow your heads with me, Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for these individuals, God, that you brought to the church. Thank you for the role that they play in expanding the kingdom. Thank you for the beautiful way that you've wired them, God. And now we pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to work. That your Holy Spirit would work on them, that would expose things. And allow them just to receive, because what, what to them will feel like criticism, Lord. Allow them just to receive. Allow the Holy Spirit to work on their heart, to model Christ more effectively, to love their neighbors, to relate to their neighbors even more effectively. God, that's our prayer this morning. With your head still bowed, you know, we talked earlier about, I believe that some of you, God has been calling you, And he's saying, hey, don't quit now. You're almost home. And if that's you here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. You might also be here this morning. You would say, you know what? I've gone to church a long time, but I've never really walked with him. You might say, I once called myself a follower of Christ, and I surrendered my life, but, you know, I'm so far away from him. I'm talking to all of you this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to make things right with God. So I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. You pray it silently in your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It really matters what's in your heart. But if that's your heart's desire, this morning you would pray this. God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are. You are the great creator. You are a holy God. I also acknowledge who I am, that I'm a sinner, that I've sinned. And so this morning, Lord God, I confess my sin, and right now... I'm laying it all down, and I'm asking you, the great creator, to forgive me, to forgive me of my sin. Thank you, God, that there is forgiveness. Thank you. I receive that forgiveness. I surrender my life today. I commit my life to you today, God. I just begin the journey, the very start, today. And I'm saying, God, give me strength to live the rest of my life following after you, serving you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.